believe that God is going to do great things through these young lives as they've emerged and have qualified themselves to be used for the kingdom of God. I love this church, its youthfulness, its, its vibrancy, its anointing. I understand you had a powerful service and this morning, and Pastor Alverna delivered a powerful word. Amen. So powerful, she couldn't dance in the evening. It was just so much. Amen. Praise the Lord. But she was dancing anyway, so I don't know if she should have just done it. Amen. We always look forward to her. And, and I'm very proud of my son, Arthur. I call him, I can call him Arthur. Amen. I was asking how many years, and he says 16 years from when he was 15 was when the Lord just kind of brought us together over there with the young people's department at Bethel, and, and the rest is history. Mother was mad at me, mad at the church, actually, not me so much, but she wanted to meet me and say, what's he there so often, and what's going on? And next thing you know, she a member, her mother a member, and everybody a member, amen. He just brought them in, and uh and I, it's so wonderful. What's wonderful about you, Pastor, is watching you mature and come into the fullness. Not well, not the fullness yet, but coming into your potential, the potential that was there. That at one point we were afraid you weren't going to exercise and get into. And then to watch God do some things. This is a brilliant young man, extremely brilliant. And we thank God for him. And, and he's a real blessing. <laughs> Amen. Now, Verna, I watched her grow up, too, in the church, I think from when you were 17, was it? How old were you? 16. Amen. Watched her come, and, and her aunt is back there. Amen. Proud as you want to be. And, and watch her. And then, then these young people, I always told Deborah she had beautiful eyes. I don't know if I can say that anymore because she, her husband is looking at me kind of mean now. <laughs> I used to tell that all the time in front of my wife. It's all right. In front of my wife. I always let her know. Amen. There's something special about it. And I always ask him, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? And then here she took young Edgar. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. When you talk about partners in crime, this guy and, and Pastor Arthur and, and God did something for them together. Now, I think they were around 17 or so when they really started hooking up strong, something like that. So for about at least 14, 15 years, of the two of them, you know, you saw one, you see the other. And then here they are, and there's really been a commitment of brotherhood between them. And then, of course, the Peters, a little later on, and watching them. So I, let me stop, because I can keep on going. Before I know it, I'll talk about the whole church like this. <laughs> there's Matthew over there. Anyway, anyway, praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to see Pastor Alec Lakajou in the house. Amen. From Rock Foundation Church. Amen. God bless you. And um, I'm going to ask uh, all of all of uh, Bethel Gospel Assembly that's here to stand up as as uh, pastors. Shadwick, come up, stand over here with me. Can ask you all to stand up. We got on this side. We have some folk who are sitting down a lot, but they can be excused. These are the elders: Elder Jarrell, Elder Elder Sister Jarrell, and Elder Winter, and and Colin. Now she's a young one. She shouldn't have been sitting because I turned around at a certain point in the service, and they were sitting down. But you see, they've been up since 8 o'clock. We've been church since 8 for our early service at 11. So after a while, we just say, okay, we'll watch you all dance around the place we're going to sit. But Carla didn't come in until 11.30, so you should have still been. Carla's my daughter. That's my daughter there. Uh, don't, don't, 
talk back to your father like that. <laughs> Carla, Priscilla, Priscilla uh, let me see. Carla, Priscilla, Brittany, Ozu, Chikadama, oh, Ozu, Chikadama, Brittany Brown. She got so many names, I, I lost track. Amen. And then, of course, we have, and then, then we have uh, Mother Dean. Let me not keep calling names because I'll get in trouble. We've got our administrator back there, Michelle, and, um, and Sister uh, Bernadette should be standing. Because what we want to do, stand. Oh, she got a baby in it. You're holding something. Just tired. Amen. Because we want to make this presentation from Bethel Gospel Assembly to small presentation to the Gathering Church, a little something to to put with the building fund. And so God bless you. And then for your seventh pastoral anniversary, which we were not at, it was the morning service, and uh, we had our own anniversary service today. But we want to make this presentation. Well, let me give this one to your wife. Amen. The Gathering Church. That's the Gathering Church. Amen. For the gatherers. All right. But this one is for Pastor Arthur Shadwick. Amen. But wait a minute. She get that too. Right. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Put your hands together for the family. God bless you. We love you. Praise the Lord. Amen. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Let me give you a little 15-minute wonder, okay? Is that good? 15-minute wonder and some prayer because we want it we want to uh just try, huh? Uh, Reverend Stephen remembers. <laughs> That's why he's a principal. He has a long memory. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. If you heard this one before, pretend you didn't. Amen. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Have it say amen. Amen. Scripture says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. May the Lord add the richest blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. I was hoping I could say that before I sneezed. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity for us to share. We pray that you'll be with us in all that we say and all that we do. Let your name be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Naked and not ashamed. Naked but not ashamed. Amen. There was a if you heard this one before, pretend you didn't. There was a circus in town. Fella needed a job, just like today. A lot of people need, a, need work. Went to the circus. He was desperate. Told the manager, listen, I'll do anything. I'll sweep, I'll clean, I'll work in the elephant. You know, I have to do that. I'll do that too. And the guy said, I have nothing for you. So the guy started to walk away when the, when the manager called him back and said, listen, I got one job for you. 
And he said, our ape just died this morning. And we need a gorilla to go in the cage and, you know, monkey around a little bit. I got a gorilla outfit over here, an ape costume. Put that on. If you go into that, that cage, I'll pay you a few dollars just for the show. And the fellow said, listen, I'll do anything. So, so the fellow gave him the ape costume, got in there, started monkeying around, you know, playing the part. Kids were coming up by the bars and folk coming by. They laughed and started talking. And after a while, he started getting into it. He's really enjoying himself, you know, making faces and carrying on. And got up on the swings, and so he's swinging back and forth, swinging back and forth. And the folk were just cheering him on. And, and he was feeling pretty good about himself until he swung so hard he went into the lion's pit. So now in the lion's cage, actually, he was there, and the lion turned around and looked at him, and, and he's starting to get a little nervous now, so he's backing up, and the lion starts to make his move on him, getting closer and closer. He's backing up, backing up, getting to the bars itself, and, and he said, listen, this is getting desperate. So he said, listen, forget this. Help! Help! Somebody help! And the lion got closer and said to him, shut up, stupid, before we both lose our job. Somebody say, naked and not ashamed. It is time for the church to find its true identity. Story shows that you didn't know who's who in that circus. You didn't know what was what. And the problem at the church today, and even as we have new ministers coming in, we want to encourage them that it's time that the church finds its true identity. Somebody say amen. amen. And we are here to declare a message uh, that declares that though there is a message of truth, the church has unfortunately turned it into just a mess, period. We have a mixture of positive thinking, new age philosophy. We have Christianized hedonism that now we pass off as prosperity teaching. And the church has lost its flavor of righteousness, holiness, and purity. It fails to even look like Christ. We need to realize that there is a cross. We need to realize that there is blood. We need to realize that there is something called lordship and a demand for discipleship, which speaks to discipline, that there has to be a resting and a resting of, of our rebelliousness and a giving ourselves over to what church is really supposed to be about. The Bible talks about the church as being the body of Christ, but we have made it into something that speaks to perhaps a lamp and a genie inside that we can rub and rub and rub until we can get just what we wanted from the Lord. I thought it was supposed to be the other way around, that God does something about rubbing us, rubbing away the tarnish, rubbing away the, the dirt and the filth, rubbing away those elements that have made us distant from who he is and causing us to be something that looks something like him, a rubbing away of the cold to create that tension that creates a diamond, the diamond that the world is looking for, the diamond of truth, the diamond of righteousness. But the church has lost its identity. The church is counting itself as one with the world. Our music sounds like the world. Our dress looks like the world. The way we talk sounds like the world. But we don't realize what the world is looking for is authenticity. The world is looking for something that will let them know that the world is a liar and that the truth of the world is a liar. Where is the truth? And the truth has to be something more than what people have imagined to have been buried 2,000 years ago. 
If you go into Israel, 2,000 years ago, there was a death. There was a burial. But also 2,000 years ago, there was a resurrection. And that resurrection was the Lord Jesus Christ. That resurrection was a Savior that rose from the dead. That resurrection was one that declared that you can be just like me by the same power, by the same spirit, by the same reality of my truth. That I just didn't come to speak a philosophy or an idea, but I came to reveal the true nature of the Most High God. And what the world wants to do is to find today a church that truly identifies itself with the blood, with the cross, with Calvary with Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. The message today is one that rings true 2,000 years later. And it speaks about a church that finds its identity in his purpose, a church that finds his, his, his identity by his providence, a church that finds its identity through his promotion. Somebody say, yes, Lord. God wants us to come into realization of his purposes, the purposes of God. God is looking for a church with a true gospel message, which is reflecting his reality, not our reality. It's so easy to say that we have church, so easy to say that we have Christ, but can God say, that I have you. Can Christ say, I have you? The world today is tired of the church. They like Christ, can't stand the church. They like Christ because of everything he says in truth. What's there not to like? But it's the church. The church that so often reflects the fig tree that Christ approached as he was on his way to Calvary. And when he saw that fig tree, he saw the leaves that indicated that there must be figs because they usually came together. And so when he went up to the leaves, it was early, but still the leaves said that there's fruit there. And when he got up there, there was no fruit. And he cursed that reality, and the tree dried up. And the fact is that it was the figs that man used, that very, I'm sorry, the fig leaves that man used in the very beginning to cover his nakedness. That in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, the Bible says that man walked so close to God, being so pure in their creation and so pure in the ideal that God had for them, and just being in his presence, it just, it just manifested such peace and calm within them that, that, that they could be naked but not ashamed that they were so lost and bathed in the brilliance of, of walking with the master and walking with their creator, that they were naked, but so close, so covered, so secure in that relationship that they, they can walk but not be ashamed in their nakedness. Until one day temptation came. And temptation is one thing, but when we yield to it, it becomes the very element that causes that separation from the glory of God and the covering of God and, and the love of that relationship. There's something about married couples. We look at these couples up here, young couples. And there is a confidence, as I look at these men, there's a confidence that they have. And the wives have. There's a confidence that they have. That though they, it's something to stand up and talk to y'all, you know, to stand up at any time with any number of people. It's, 
something. Because once you stand up, there's an exposure that takes place. Whether it's a misword or, or something being out of place, there's a certain level of exposure. As the more you talk, the more people will evaluate you and say, where are you coming from? How smart you are? What you got behind you? How many degrees? What's going on? And there's a certain kind of exposure that can cause one to rather sit in the back and just sit there and join with the rest of the people to criticize everybody else. But when you stand up here, there's a confidence that ex is ex exudes from each of them. And the, and the confidence comes, I'll tell you where it comes from. It doesn't come from you. Maybe a little. From mama back there and some others. But the confidence comes from relationship at home with the spouse. That lets them know no matter what anyone thinks about you, you're wonderful, you're great, you're something else. You're fantastic. There's a confidence that comes from just saying, you think I can do it? Yes, you can do that. Nobody's fool. No one here thinks they're perfect, but yet there's enough out of that relationship. There's enough of the covering, the mutual covering that, that gives one the, 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 the courage to go forth and become a partner of a great firm or to become a principal of a great school or to become a pastor of a great work, to, to step out. There's always that somebody who covers the nakedness, the reality that all of us lack something, that we're not all that. But yet, out of a personal relationship, there's a sense of covering, a sense of, of, of support that helps us to step forward. And that's what the relationship with Christ presented for these individuals. The relationship that, that they had with God and Christ from the very beginning. We know that it was the word that was spoken that made chaos become cosmos. The word, Jesus was at the beginning speaking a word and that same power that created cosmos out of chaos is the same sense of, of connection that gave them that courage to walk in their nakedness and not be ashamed. It was the love of God and the love of Jesus from the very beginning. Don't think you could be anything or get anywhere without the love of God covering you. Don't think you could walk into any kind of situation without a connection with God that gives you a confidence that in spite of who I know I am and in spite of what I know I lack, I can yet walk forward. Because I have a sense of my identity, which is in the covering I have from Christ. But there was a point when temptation caused them to stumble and fall. It wasn't deceived. The Bible says Adam was not deceived. But as they fell away into their deception, the covering was lost. And they looked at each other, and they knew they were naked. When the Lord came and sought them out, they had to confess they were hiding. He asked them, how did you know you were naked? The reality is that they had lost their covering. They had lost their covering, and the Lord already knew. The Lord already had plans. And they hid themselves in the figs. And the hiding of the figs is something that the church has continued to do all these years later after Jesus established a church and and brought a connection, an opportunity to reconnect with God and be covered again by God and be covered through Jesus Christ and by the blood of Jesus. But for 2,000 years, we have continued to walk in the spirit of Adam and Eve. We have used the superficial covering of leaves, the superficial covering of our suits and ties, the superficial covering of our God speak and church talk. The superficial covering of carrying our big Bibles or wearing our crosses or even our collars for some of us who are ministers and preachers of the gospel yet still have not a clue of what we're preaching. 
Because we could talk a good talk. Oh, we live in a day where we have so many folk who can wax loquacious, speak in, in, in high form that, that causes us to say, wow. But yet the quality of their lives say that there's something lacking. Because they're just covering themselves with the fig leaves that speak of fruit. But when Jesus comes close, just like that fig tree, there's no fruit. The fruit of love. The fruit of compassion. The fruit of caring. The fruit of service. No fruit. The fruit of long-suffering. The fruit of joy and peace. No fruit. The fruit of holiness and righteousness. The fruit of spiritual boldness and righteous indignation. No fruit. But we got all the covering. And the problem is, it's not just the Lord who comes to inspect the leaves and to see if there's any fruit beyond it. The world, because it's hungry, it's starving, it knows that it's dying. And so it tries new age, and it tries hedonism, and it tries Allah, and it tries Buddha, and it tries everything. It tries his tattoos. It tries his gang signs. It tries his drugs. I'm hungry. I want fruit. I want to eat. I want to eat. And someone says, try Jesus. And so they go to the church to try Jesus. And they get close. The shout looks good. The liturgical dance is wonderful. The preacher speaks with a voice that makes me shake. But when I get close, the fornication is there. When I get close, the spousal abuse is there. When I get close, the pedophilia is there. When I get close, the larceny is there. When I get close, the liars and cheaters and thieves, they're there. And no one says anything. And no one stands up for righteousness. And no one makes a statement. For Christ, naked and ashamed. God's purpose is that a word be lifted up, that we are called to be naked and not ashamed because we're covered in the passion of Christ, his blood, and his righteousness. God says you can stand. My purpose is that you send a message to the world that Christ is the answer. Send a message to the world that declares that you are not ashamed of this gospel that calls you to walk counterculture. That you are not ashamed of this gospel that calls you to walk as a rational radical. I think I might have preached that here some time ago. That you are not ashamed of a gospel that causes you to walk in a different direction than your classmates and your partners on the job and family members that don't understand why you get up early and 
fast and pray and go to church and do that church stuff. Folk who can't understand it, but yet you're naked and not ashamed, and you're not ashamed of, of declaring the word of God. You, you're naked because they know you're not perfect. You're naked because they know you have troubles like they do. You're naked because they know you have appetites and you know you, you have challenges, but yet you're not ashamed of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's something about Christ that has called you out of darkness into a light and a declaration of who Christ is and what Christ looks like. And though you might stumble along the way, you declare, I will not be utterly cast down because he's a God that shall lift me up. Turn me around and put my feet on a solid ground. I'm naked and not ashamed because I might be last place right now. But keep watching me. I'm running this race and I'm running it under the anointing of my God. And as I run, he strengthens me as I run. He encourages me as I run. He brings me through. I'm naked and not ashamed because my life will glorify my King. My Lord and my Savior, my purpose is to reveal a God who loves even someone like me. With my track record and my failures, he still loves me. With my confusion and my, my mistakes, but yet he still loves me. And God chooses me to declare to everyone else that no matter where you've been and how long you've been there, that he's a God who's able Naked and not ashamed because he gives me providence. He shows me his purpose. And out of his purpose, he gives me a message of his providence. How do I know I can make it? Because my making is not contingent upon my good looks. Because my making is not contingent upon who I know. Because my making is not contingent upon what the economy of the United States is like right now. That my making is not based on my skin color. That my making is not based upon how much schooling I've had or did not have. That my making is not contingent upon the island I come from or the nation I come from or where I'm planted today. That this understanding of God goes beyond just the economy of a great nation. It goes into a third world nation. It goes into a two-thirds world nation. It goes into any place on the earth that this relationship with God and the providence of God manifests itself beyond human understanding. It is the power of God that is able to make me. Unfortunately, in our arrogance, we think that we have come this far by ourselves. It's the good things I have done. It's by my wit. It's by my intelligence. But how often does man have to be brought to his knees? Has man learned through a Katrina that, listen, when God's ready to blow on you, everything you have built up can come down? Will man look continue to look to the great economy of the United States or a great economy of Japan or other great nations who, who at one moment ran the world, but then the next moment they found themselves crushed in an avalanche of debt. When will man learn that we make it by grace, the providence of God? There was a student who was riding in a bus, and while he was there, preacher was sitting next to him, so he looked at this young man and says, so you're heading to college? And he said, yes, I am. He said, well, be careful there, you know. You need to make sure that you, you walk close to God and you need to make it with his help. He says, listen, I don't need that. 
I'll make it with my willpower. That's all I need. I will to do, and I will do. And the man said, the preacher said to him, yeah. He says, did you know I can make a pencil stand up on a Bible? And he says, yeah, and the bus was bouncing. He says, I want to see that. So he took the Bible and he put the pencil on top of the Bible like this. Then he put his finger on top of the pencil and he held it on top of the Bible. The guy said, man, get out of here with that. He said, of course it's not going to fall. You're holding it. He says, right, it can't fall because I'm holding it. And the only way you won't fall is because the hand of God is holding you. And somebody needs to understand that wherever you are, when you're naked and not ashamed, because you're walking in the covering of the Holy Ghost and the blood of Jesus, I don't care how bumpy your ride is right now. God's purpose is fulfilled through his providence. God's purposes in your life are fulfilled through the providence of God, the provisions that God brings your way. And the provisions God brings your way comes to a man who waits before the Lord. Bible says, wait before the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. And somebody's waiting for something right now. And let me tell you something, because I'm waiting on God to do some things. You're talking about $20,000 that you have, and, and I don't know what your goal is, but I know what my goal is. And, and, and that $20,000 won't even get me in the door <laughs> of what I need God to do right now and do it in a real hurry. Do it in South Africa, need it. Do it some stuff in Jamaica, need it. Do it right there in New York City, need it. And just say, Lord, sometimes things get so deep that, it, that you just start. You know, there's a point, there's a worry point where you say, man, I got to, man, if this don't happen and that don't happen. And then it can get so bad that you say, there's no sense in worrying. <laughs> it's like, it don't even make no sense. You know, you just say, you know, Lord, this is a joke. It gets to a point where it's almost a joke and you say, Lord, Okay, you, you, you win this one. You're joking with me, so go ahead and do what you're going to do now because, it's, because I know you're going to make it all right. And the reason why you know he's going to make it all right is because you say, well, let me look. Let me check. Am I walking according to the plan of God? Am I walking according to his will and purpose for my life? Have I checked myself to see if there's anything that's unseemly or uncomely about me and my approach and where I am right now. God points it out. I say, okay, Lord, I've got that. I fix it. But I'm, I'm walking circumspectly. I'm walking around myself and taking a good look. Yeah, I got everything covered. Everything's dressed up. Everything's clean. Everything looks good enough. Yeah, we can take care of that. Not a problem. No, this is not. Okay, we're pretty good here. Once we know that and it's all about God's purpose, guess what? God's providence has got to kick in. God's providence has got to kick in. And God might hold back for a while. I know what we're, you're going, gathering church is going, say we because it is we. What gathering church is going, folk who seem to have your destiny in their hands are just dangling and holding it. Government officials that got your destiny in your hand, I know about that. I know stuff in New York City, stuff that if, if we can put in the papers can change some, some race, tremendous races. I know games that government officials will play, especially against the church. We got the same games going on in South Africa, what they try to do to the mission station that we have in the Willville area. Hundreds of thousands of dollars have been built in property. They're ready to just knock down because somebody passed a few dollars under the table. But God is stepping in, and God is, has given providence by, by way of giving wisdom and documentation and now being produced to say, no, y'all can't do that, and to protect God's investment. I know what the devil will try to do to 
to prevent the purposes of God from being realized. And there are purposes in your lives as you listen to my voice where you say, but, but I'm doing the right thing. I know I, I stopped doing that stuff I used to do. I know I've been, I've been consecrating myself unto God. I know I'm walking in holiness. I know I'm believing and trusting God. I know I'm doing right. Well, when you know you're doing right, guess what? Now it's time to walk in the providence of God. We always say there is no failure in God. And so when you're doing a good work, pastor, and you know that there's no failure in God, and you say it's good work, no failure, good work, no failure, good work. Well, you put that together. Because it's good work, there can be no failure because there is no failure in God. The enemy will try to test. The enemy will try to come against you. The enemy will try to give you every reason to give up. But when you walk by faith and not by sight, that means that even though it doesn't seem to add up, when it doesn't seem to make sense, but yet you know it's God because you're walking under the covering of God. Because it's not about you. It's not about your strength. I've left myself behind long time ago. Everything I'm doing, Lord, is because I heard your voice. I'm walking by faith. I'm walking by your word. So, Lord, you have to provide my need right now. So I'm going to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. And what he says is, while you're waiting, I'm going to strengthen your heart. While you're waiting, I'm going to strengthen your heart. I'm going to get you past the worry point to the point where you just kind of go on to sleep at night. Wake up in the morning and say, oh, it's still there. Okay, we deal with it, but I'm going to bed tonight. I'm not going to let that thing rob me of any more sleep. Time to take my vacation. I'm going on my vacation. Come back. Pick it up there because it's not my battle. It's not my problem, but I'm an instrument being used of God. And like any instrument, a cutting instrument, sometimes you take that instrument and you're using it, but it gets a little dull after a while. Come on, you cooks in the house. Those favorite knives... And cutting like it used to. In the old days when I was a kid, they used to have a guy going down the street and... I watched my mother, or sometimes she'd tell us, here, take these knives and go outside. Some of you old folk don't act like... You got folk over here playing themselves like, I don't know what he's talking about. You as old as the Last Supper, you telling me you don't know about them guys? Come on, Please. Please. And so you run outside with the knives, and he sit there, and he got that little thing, and he starts sharpening those knives. Shh, see the sparks flying. Shh, shh. Give him about 50 cents, something like that, and take them all back inside. And guess what? When it's dinner that night and you got steak, if you can afford it, man, that thing is cutting like butter. Cutting like butter. Why? It's sharp. But if that knife could cry, if that knife could talk, didn't feel nice rubbing up against that hard instrument, iron, sharpening iron, and getting it on the other side. And ah, ah, that, and imagine that iron being you, just being shh, shh, It hurts. You're going through a process. But yet through every moment, every ah, mm, after a while, you begin to feel kind of good about yourself. And when you go back in that drawer, you're in there saying, look at me. Come on, use me now. Use me now. Watch me cut. And God is looking for some saints that say, Lord, I'm going through my sharpening period. Uh, folk might think I'm just under the hammer right now, but no, nah, I'm just being sharpened for the kill. And when he's ready, he's going to take you out and use you as a cutting instrument to cut forth the glory of God. But he needs someone that's naked and not ashamed to say, here am I. Use me, Lord. 
the providence of God. God has to get you there somehow. Sometimes we go through some real experience. Sometimes we go through it where we think it's something wrong with me. And that's why things ain't coming through. That's why things aren't getting better. You're looking back. And but then John Claypool said this. He says, the real meaning of mercy. Thank, somebody say, thank God for grace and mercy. The real meaning of mercy is that it can look on failure and still see a future. That even if there's something there, even if you check yourself up and say, oops, there it is, that there's a God who's a God of mercy. And even though there was failure, it can't stop your future. Somebody needs to say amen. God's gospel message speaks to his purpose, speaks to his providence, and lastly, speaks to his promotion. Promotion, Jeremiah 29, you know it, 11. For I know the thought that I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a hope and a future. The promotion. God's providence always has an objective. God always has a plan. God always has a purpose. In gathering church, the gatherers, it's time to gather your promotion. Enemies tested you, he's tried you, but seven years later, you're still here. This is your seventh year. Seven is the number of completions, so they say. You have completed one stage. It's time to reflect. It's time to gather in. It's time to get ready for an exhale. If eight is the number of new beginnings, then as you come to your seven, know that you're about to go into another level. God didn't bring you this far, not having a plan. University might say one thing. Provost and president, university president and all the rest. And government officials might have one plan. But no plan can stop the promotions of God. There's a door that God has in store for you that no man, can close. No man can open before his time. It's a promotion that God has for you. In order to walk through your promotion, you cannot walk with a flea mentality. I, Brian Green, Bishop Brian Green laughed at me when I mentioned the name Sig Ziglar. He said, I haven't heard that name in a long time. Some of you won't even talk about who he is, but he said something, and what he says still stands. And he said the flea mentality is like a flea circus. In a flea circus, you have these fleas jumping around, and people are just amazed to watch these fleas doing whatever they do, the acrobatics that they do. And the amazing thing about fleas is that they stay right there. Why don't they fly away? Because the way you 
train fleas is that you put them in a glass cage with a glass ceiling. And so when they start bouncing around trying to escape, they, they realize this is as high as I can go. And once you get them there, then it's okay. Now you can remove the glass top because now they have been programmed in their mind that that's as far as they can go. It doesn't matter how open space might be made available to them. They will only go so far. And pastors and reverends and associate pastors and ministers, keep that flea mentality out of your church. Don't let the consensus of the people reflect a flea mentality that says, well, this is nice, and folk will get there. This is good. We've been together for a while, and we know how to do service right, and we do it this way. We have our way. And after a while, that flea mentality says, well, you got some other people that want to come in. Well, where are you coming from? person was talking about a storefront church, and they went to visit, sat in the church, and so they're having, it looked like one of those family affairs, you know. You know, grandfather's a pastor, and the, the wife is assistant pastor, and then their kids are the deacon board, and the trustee board's the cousins, and you know how it is. And so, so they went in there, and so they sat in, and, and their folk were doing their thing. And so it was nice. They started looking back. Can we help you? You, you, you looking for a church, someplace you want to go? Yeah, I want to be in your church. You know, it's like, no, you don't, you don't want to be here. This is for us. There's a nice church down the street, but no, this is our church. Flea mentality. Our church. Flea mentality. $20,000 in the bank, but a $500,000 building over there. Million dollar building. Well, you know, we got 20 now. We do a few things and really, nah, we, we got 20. No, it ain't enough. Let's just stay here. Maybe we can find another little storefront and pay some rent and just hook up in there, Pastor. You're going too far. It's just us anyway. We like it like this. We all together. We all we don't want to see no empty seats in here. We you get into a big 600 seater. It's only it's only a 50 of us. We don't, why, what do we want to do with the 500 seater? What do we want to do? The flea mentality. The Lord has moved on my heart to raise up brother, sister, so and so, and bring them on. But why, why are you bringing them on, Pastor? Don't you know they used to. They had a, a, a drug problem. How long ago was that? Ten years ago, but they had a drug problem. And the other one, the wife was a prostitute, and now you want to make them elders and you want to make them deacons? You, flea mentality. Flea mentality that says we can only do church a certain way, with certain people, in a certain place, at a certain time. Flea mentality. Glass ceiling. Who put it there? Don't let Satan put a glass ceiling over your ministry. Where you could look and say, oh, yes, and we could talk about what God has done for others because we could see what God has done. But as far as us getting there, we can't get there. Because you always see yourself as small. See yourself as insignificant. See yourself as limited. See yourself being compared to somebody else. And so don't try to do what they've done. You'd be surprised the places that God will take you and the people that you'll talk to. I haven't even told my church. There's this man that was riding in his car 
I got a call from from somebody very close to him who was actually there at the time. Well, they weren't there at the time, but they were there when he heard a message I preached. And so he came, and and I I was I wasn't being rude or disrespectful on the phone. I was trying to get get Elder Darren to remind me what the what the title of that message was. It's a sign of getting old. Don't get old. Don't start getting old cause, because he got the title for me and gave it to me. And it was my title, my message, and I still can't remember what the title <laughs> was. Uh, so it says, take the, take, the, uh, take the good news and run with it. Right. That's, that, was the, that was the title of the message. So, so he heard, this fellow heard that message. And so it, this man took that message into a meeting with some important, other important people. And he began to quote the message and say this and say that about the message and, and was getting kind of really into it, telling them what they needed to do. And, and then when he finished and he said after that, he said he started the message by saying some unknown preacher. Then he finished, I want to thank God for this person. I don't know him, but this preacher, Bishop Carlton T. Brown, for this message today that inspired me and it caused me to speak this to these other important people, some of them, I guess, in his group. And then I don't know who the people were in the room, but some of the important people. And so the person who's, who I know who's very close to him came back and actually said, I, I, know, I know him. And he didn't believe, oh, you don't know him. He said, yes, I do. And so, he's, so I'm supposed to be giving him some stuff. And in fact, he's supposed to be calling me. But the point is this. The person who heard the message in California, because he has some, some gizmo that picks up all these broadcasts, so he was able to pick up my broadcast in California, which is 7 o'clock in the morning. So that means he was hearing it at 4 o'clock in the morning person who was commenting was President Obama. You never know where God will take you, who God would cause you to meet, and who God would cause you to impact. And I don't say that to say I'm anybody. But I'm saying, how is it important for us to do what God says to do? Position ourselves where God says position ourselves. The rest is up to him. We're not trying to do anything to glorify self or man, but just preaching the truth. That when I hear that he heard a message I preached and it impacted him, I don't have to worry. That's why I couldn't remember the message. Because quite honestly, all of them are good. <laughs> they all good. Why are they good? Because they're all based upon the Word of God. They're all based upon what I believe. They're all based upon how I live. That if he says, who's this Bishop Brown, and tells the CIA or the Secret Service, investigate this guy. Because you know what they be doing these days. Investigate him, because I don't want to talk too much about this guy if he's crooked. And then they come and sniff around and say, oh, no, you don't want to be quoting no Bishop Brown. He's got this going on. He's got that going on over there. He's into this stuff, and he's doing that. You don't want to be quoting. No, I don't have to worry about who's hearing me. And I've said some things. I did think, of fact, on a couple of things I said about the government. I said, you know, it could get me. Some of the stuff could get me in trouble. But because I'm naked and not ashamed before the Lord, it's still the truth anyhow. And we live in a day, and I'm closing on this. I'm, we're living in a day. I appreciate this young church and young people. As I sat there, I thought to myself, you know, I wish I was younger. 
I'm 57 years old. I wish I was younger. And you know why I said that? Not because, say, oh, I got so much I want to do with my church. No, I'm kind of, I'm cool with that. You know, clock's ticking. You know, because I've been doing it for 10 years as, as senior pastor. 10 years went pretty quick, so I can imagine what the next 10 is going to be. And then I'm like 67, so I said, well, you know, around that time, I'm, you know, the Caribbean's starting to look real good to me, <laughs> if not before. But the point is, the point is this. I said that, I was sitting there and I said that because I was looking at your church. And I said, wow, you know, the time is, the clock is ticking how much I'll be around you guys to watch what God does. I said, when they, when they hit that 500 mark or hit that 1,000 mark or, or whatever, wherever they're going to be around the world, I said, you know, I might not be sitting here partaking participating. I'll be some, hopefully alive somewhere and I'll be reading about it. You'll give me a call, but I need to be in the midst of it or or for you to come into my office and say, what do you think about this? Or this is happening. Or come by and let me show you my facility. Or th- I might not be around for that. I said, boy, Lord, do a quick work for this church because I want to really watch this thing. I want to see this thing. I was going to say something, but age catches up, so I forgot the, the point why I was saying that. But time is, is about time, and time is, is, is wrapping up. This is what I was going to say. You know, when folk will, folk will put you in something, and they'll start comparing what you're doing with this pastor and what this one did before you and that one. And I think about the time of 70s and 80s, and being in the middle of stuff with Bishop Williams and the kind of ministry and the kind of stuff that we dealt with in those days. We were dealing with deep stuff. Should women wear pants? Do you need to have a hat in church? Earrings and lipstick was the big debate. That's what we had a battle. The world is coming into the church. Look at the girls wearing their jeans. Hell is busting wide open. You know, real big problems. Gay marriage? Being legalized? <laughs> what were you smoking, brother? Islam stripping Christianity? And Sharia law now being considered to be passed in the United States? Unbelievable. No question about that. We're a Christian nation. The kind of issues, same gender sex, transgender, any kind of gender you want, folk coming up in your church, hugging and kissing and grinding, same sex, and if you preach from the text about homosexuality, the government walks in, takes you away in chains, and bars your church. This is what's happening in Canada. The kind of world, my time is winding up. I mean, this stuff, I'll be battling this stuff. We'll be battling this stuff for a little while before it really becomes reality. But the fact is that by the time it really kicks in, that's the church you're going to be running. I'll be in that initial fight, then I'll be on the sidelines. I'll be one of the old boys 
cheering you on, you guys. I'm old stuff. They won't want me. He's, he's toothless. He's a toothless lion. We don't worry about him. One of those old guys, gray-headed, and don't know what he's talking about. These young guys, they're a danger to us. They're a danger to national security. You are the guys that have to worry about whether or not you'll have to take your church underground. You're the guys that got to worry about how we're going to make a public statement and battle the authorities leading our churches the way they did in the 60s into the streets to deal with the biting dogs just like they did in the Roman amphitheater. You're the guys that's going to have to fight the psychology community in debates about sexual identity. You're the guys, and, and probably there's some stuff coming down that we don't even have a clue yet. And these young people in your church who are listening to that garbage and have to make up their minds whether to go with Christ or go with a watered-down version of it that too many preachers are willing to preach as long as the tithes and the offering keep coming in. You're the guys that will have to make a choice whether to get big. Because you got, y'all got word and you got talent in this group. Y'all can get big fast. Young people too. Young people like to get with the movement. Just tell us that we can keep sleeping with each other. That we can do our recreational drugging. Just tell us it's Okay. And, you know, we'll join your church. You're the ones that would have to try to insist upon an old-time religion, an old-time standard that would keep you chasing dollars because there will never seem to be enough to help the people the way you want to. And folk would just say, compromise. Don't be so hard. Don't, t- don't preach all that. That's what you guys have signed up for. What, all you about 30 years old? You got 35 more years of this stuff. I only have about 10. What is this world going to look like in 35 years when you're standing up here with the mic and saying, remember when Bishop Brown, God rest his soul, and he told us that this day would come. So Gathering Church, I'm proud of you. It's time to reflect and to recognize the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come because there's a Savior. The best is yet to come because he's your Redeemer. The best is yet to come because he ordained you with purpose. The best is yet to come because he has given you his providence, his blessings. The best is yet to come because he will promote you. That he that has called you this far is able to keep you, to cover you, and to give you the anointing that will usher in the glory of the Lord. Let's all stand.